0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to The CBish Show. I'm your host, Colin Bish, and welcome, everyone, to episode six, I believe. Uh, a couple of things that I wanted to just go over before I got into this episode. Um, I did, I yes, this is coming out a bit later. I would have liked this to have come out on Monday. However, I had a lot to do um, with, like, what I was trying to get done for this episode and i think i mentioned it beforehand but i think uh, i think i mentioned in the last episode where i wanted to um go through every team's draft class in the nfl give them a grade on it and i did so and um it took a while and i just wanted to let you guys know that that's why that's why i had a um a day delay because i was so busy trying to get this done and then also trying to keep track of like you know the conference finals and all that and so i apologize for that i want to give a shout out to pro football focus for um pro, for providing the um nfl draft grades well i didn't i gave the, the teams my own draft grades but a lot of the information on the players that i got was from pff so i just wanted to say that before <clears throat> i wanted to say that before i got into that and lastly, before we get into the episode, I just want to say thank you for the continued support. You guys have—you guys have no idea how much it means to me. Truly, truly means a lot. Without further ado, let's get right into it. So Saturday, um, game three between the Nuggets and the Lakers was a very tight one. However, in the fourth quarter, after a poor first half and even a poor third quarter, he Nikola Jokic, who I think he sat out for most of the third quarter with foul trouble. Um, Nikola Jokic came alive in the fourth quarter to propel the Denver Nuggets to a 3-0 lead over the Los Angeles Lakers. Jamal Murray in that game continued his hot streak after he scored like 23 points in the fourth quarter in game two. And then he continued that as he scored 30 points in the first half, gave the Nuggets a slight edge. As I said, um, Nikola Jokic did not look like his usual self in the first half and in the third quarter he got four fouls i think five had to sit out most of it and then in the fourth quarter he basically took over um and helped the nuggets um have a big fourth quarter which led them to a win and a 3-0 lead michael porter jr had a very good game with 14 points 10 boards and six assists which very uncommon to see michael porter jr uh not to knock on him of course but um, Michael Porter Jr. is not known for a playmaking type and for him to have six assists means that the Nuggets had a really good game plan and it really surrounded and it really revolved uh, a lot around passing the ball and Michael Porter Jr. was the beneficiary. Katavius uh, Colwell-Pope and Bruce Brown also had big games. AD had another great game after a dud. Um, in the, in game two, he had a great game with like 28 boards. 18, no, not 28 boards, but 28 points. 18 boards lebron and austin reeves added 23 apiece but the lakers came up just short and um they would fall three nothing then last night the nuggets would complete the sweep of the lakers by a score of 113 to 111 they would move on to their first nba finals in franchise history it was not a close it wasn't really that close of a game at the first uh, at the end of the first half the Lakers were up by 15 points at the end of the first, and the excuse me, the Denver Nuggets absolutely came alive um, in the second half. And it, it, since that, in the second half, it was completely neck and neck. It was very, very tight game. Nikola Jokic again came up big. He had 30 points, 14 boards, 13 assists, with another playoff triple double. Aaron Gordon had his best game in the biggest game of the year for the Nuggets as he scored 22 points, collected six boards, and had five assists. And he went 9-14 nine, nine from the field and hit three threes, which is very shocking because he, he wasn't really getting up that much shots in this series. But then this game, he came up really big. Uh, Jamal Murray did well in the paint, kind of struggled from the three. Uh, Denver's bench was kind of a non-factor. LeBron James um we'll get to him in a second because there's a big news surrounding him big question marks. Um LeBron did all he could. He had 31 in the first half, finished with 40 points, 10, 10 boards and 9 assists, but it was not enough to extend the series. Lakers install uh Darvin Ham installed a new defensive lineup that included Dennis Schroeder and Rui Hachimura. Which sent I I think it sent Jared Vanderbilt to the bench and Jared Vanderbilt did not play in that game and D'Angelo Russell got sent to the bench as well. However, Schroeder and um Schroeder and Hachimura really weren't like you could tell from the game like with how Nikola Jokic was playing and even Jamal Murray like you could tell like it's not really being that much of a factor because you know even if Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray still having good games. They still spread the ball out to um, the Nuggets, still spread the ball out to the other guys on their team, like Aaron Gordon, who had 22. Michael Porter Jr. didn't have a good game, but he still uh, shot well. That that may have been KCP, though. I might be wrong about that. But still, um, the Nuggets were able to prevail. In the very last play of the game, um, LeBron attempted to tie the game at a layup, but Aaron Gordon and Jamal Murray... Had a great double team, forced a miss, and Denver moves on to their first NBA Finals in franchise history. Uh, The first time that they've been to the Western Conference Finals since, I believe, 2009 when Carmelo Anthony was still a Denver Nugget. Uh, That's another thing, uh, but I'll get to that. Uh, But yeah, congratulations to the Nuggets. Um, A fantastic season so far for them. And... For them to have swept this Lakers team like that, when this Lakers team, like, the the, the media always is going to rave about the Lakers and get a question like, uh and uh, like oh, um you know, the Lakers can to come back down 3-0 and stuff. But I think what we have, there's a couple of things we need to understand. Number one, the Lakers were still a 7th seed. And they very much showed that they were playing, that they were a 7th seed in this series. However, you know, the, the game's relatively close. So it's not so yeah, they got swept, but the games were relatively close. So like the the Lake this Lakers team, yes, they were a seventh seed, but there was no way that this team was any normal seventh seed. They were much better than the team that they started out with this season, and it showed in their playoff performances against the Grizzlies, it showed in their playoff performance against the Warriors, and didn't really show it much against the Denver Nuggets. I mean they did get swept. But You know, at the end of the day, um, all the games were relatively close. Uh, It was a very fun series, despite the sweep and the Denver Nuggets. There's nothing you could say anymore, right? There's nothing you could say anymore about like, oh, uh, you know, Lakers will come back. Like, nope, can't say any of that. You just got to give the Nuggets their flowers. You got to give Denver their flowers, and because they have absolutely, they have shown that they are the best team in the Western Conference this season by a far margin, a far margin. Like, they were on the verge of a sweep against the Minnesota Timberwolves and still closed that series out relatively easily. Then they went against the super team Phoenix Suns, uh, were able to get the upper hand on them in game six, and then went against a much better Los Angeles Lakers team than what you know the Lakers started out with, and they swept them. It made everybody, it made all their, like their, their, um, that Lakers defensive squad was incredible. Like you had Jared Vanderbilt, who's very primed for his defense, Anthony Davis, obviously we know how good of a defender he is, Dennis Schroeder and the Denver Nuggets just made them look silly. Just like it, it, it made them look like it didn't even matter. Um, that's how good the Nuggets are. And no Props to the Denver Nuggets, and um, I did want to say uh, I wanted to congratulate Carmelo Anthony on a storied career. Um, Carmelo, If you didn't know, Carmelo Anthony announced his retirement, uh, I believe yesterday, um, so congratulations to him. One of the best scorers, pure scorers we've ever seen in NBA history, and I'll die on that hill, and I'm pretty sure most people would die on that hill too, because Melo was such a fantastic scorer a fantastic player his career does you know his career is often marred by his time in New York and you know him being, you know his the accusations of him being a stat pattern not really caring about winning championships but what you can't deny is that guy's skill and Carmelo Anthony is one of the most skilled scorers the NBA has ever seen and um just want to say congratulations to Carmelo Anthony on a fantastic career and we will be happy to see him in the NBA or the Basketball Hall of Fame, very very soon. But yeah, um, for his um for his 2003 um NBA draft class mate LeBron James though, because now I think with Mello retiring, LeBron is the only player left from the 2003 draft class, and who knows how long that might last? Because uh, LeBron did allude last night post game after the Lakers lost that he doesn't know the future for him. And by that, he means he doesn't know if he'll be back next season. Whether that whether that will be for the Lakers, whether that will be for another team, like, who knows, man. Um, people calling him out saying, like, he's just looking for attention, but, you know, um, I, I'm shocked that, you know, somebody would try to seek attention through answering a reporter's question you know a, a of simple question of oh hey lebron why do, uh you know where do you see yourself next year and he truthfully answers like i don't know man like you know, I, i'm sure he's seeking attention right yeah I, uh, wh- whatever but th- that's very interesting because and this is something i have the there's something with the lakers that i've had the issue with that i've been waiting to talk about i wanted to talk about it yesterday but uh, if I did record, however, I did kind of mess up. And, um, you know, I it's it, this episode's obviously coming, obviously coming out a day late. But, like, the hypocrisy of the casual NBA fans and the hypocrisy... Well, not the hypocrisy, but the total lack of respect for the opposing team of the mainstream media and casual NBA fans, along with the casual NBA fans' hypocrisy is just sad it really is and let me explain you've got a bunch of people saying right now that a potential denver well not even a potential looks like it's likely gonna happen uh nba finals matchup between the denver nuggets and the miami heat are a uh it's gonna be one of the worst rated finals of all time if you call yourself a basketball fan and you truly believe that statement that the denver nuggets and miami heat Probable NBA finals matchup is going to be one of the worst rated finals and one of the most boring finals of all time. You are wrong, and on top of you being wrong, you're not a basketball fan, you just follow narratives. You follow narratives, you follow storylines, you follow certain players. You don't really like basketball. You were only in it to see oh, battle for the 18th between the Lakers and the Celtics. That's probably the only reason you were. Try, you that's probably the only reason you watch the nba finals now when two fantastic basketball teams are likely going to play each other nba and the nba finals who have proven that they are better basketball teams than the two teams you guys have been trying to prop up to the nba finals as the battle for the 18th ring will tatum get his first will lebron get his fifth those two teams that you've been propping up got smacked by better basketball teams and you won't give, a, and you won't give Denver or Miami your props. Cut it, man. Cut that. It's annoying. If you truly, again, if you truly call yourself an NBA fan, a basketball fan, and you say, "Yeah, I don't really care about the Denver-Miami final," you're not a basketball fan. You just care about narratives. Final. You care about a narrative NBA finals. Like this is probably. What a, like every NBA Finals is obviously hoops, right? We understand that. But in terms of pure team basketball, this is probably one of the best matchups that, you know uh, through the trajectory of the playoffs and every and through the trajectory of every playoffs throughout the history of the NBA, like this is probably one of the best matchups of team basketball in the NBA Finals we've ever seen. And I truly believe that, and th- you could call it recency bias, and I'll say sure, of course, sure, whatever, man. But in terms of pure basketball, like this is as good as it gets. You've got Denver, who's inc- you've got Nikola Jokic, who's able to get everybody on his team involved, everybody. And one of them and this is the, this is the first full year that the, excuse me, that the Denver Nuggets are fully healthy. This is probably one of the best versions if not the best version of the denver nuggets that we're gonna see you know we could see better but you know it is it is what it is you got miami right now behind jimmy butler it's not even just jimmy butler yes jimmy butler has been the best player in the nba playoffs you know, you could argue Jokic has been the best player, whatever. But I, tr- I still believe it's Jimmy for what he's done with an 8-seed Miami team. But, hell, it's not even just Jimmy Butler. It's not even just Bam Bio. It's everybody on that team. Like, Miami is so, so deep. You've got Kevin Love, who came out of nowhere and is this great 3 and D guy. You got Kyle Lowry off the bench. You gave Vincent Max Drews, Duncan Robinson, like, Uh, that team is so deep and they're such and they play fantastic basketball they're both coached by coaches who are fantastic or who are fantastic coaches in their own light i mean michael malone and uh eric spolster respectfully so when you so when these nba or these so-called Ba- self-proclaimed basketball fans, NBA fans, say, I'm not excited for a Denver Heat fi- or a Denver Miami Finals. I-, I-, I strongly doubt if you're really an NBA fan or a basketball fan in that regard. Maybe you're... Like, if you said, like, oh, I'm a LeBron fan or I'm a Jason Tatum fan and I'm not excited to see it, that makes sense. But calling yourself an NBA fan and saying you're not excited to see a Denver Miami Finals when this could be one of the most pure forms of basketball of team basketball in finals history you sound like you sound like an idiot man you sound dumb and i don't mean to be rude to anybody that might be watching who has that opinion but that's just no man just no no They're, like <sighs> And and this is the problem I've seen with the mainstream media too. And I'm not one of those guys to be like, oh, the mainstream media is just so you know, it's always caring about LeBron and stuff. And ESPN's trying to push democratic narrative. Like, I don't care about all that, man. That's people's perception of it. But what I've seen so far from how the den, how the Denver Nuggets have been treated by the mainstream media outlets like ESPN and Bleacher Report, if you can even call Bleacher Report a uh, You know, a respectable media outlet, Bleacher Report, is basically just House of Highlights. But as a media outlet, that's just my opinion. But you see how you see the hypocrisy towards the Denver Nuggets. It's or not even hypocrisy, but you see the total disrespect for the Denver Nuggets after Game One. All people were talking about is, oh, Lakers. You know, they made it close. You know, can they come back? That's fair, honestly. That's honestly fair because. Denver was absolutely whooping them for the first half, and then the Lakers made it extremely close, and they they came short. So it was a fair question to ask, right? It was a fair question to be like, you know what, um, you know what, can the Lakers make a comeback? And they nearly did. They had a big lead uh, for most of game two, and then they came back. Now they're down two zero. Now this is a bigger lead. Now people are talking about oh could the Lakers really get a game and that's a fair point, but the Lakers didn't get that other game. They lost in Game Three. Now they're down three zero. Now with the with the Lakers down three zero, ESPN, Bleach Report, all these me- mainstream media outlets are asking, oh can LeBron lead a three zero comeback when it's certainly like look, LeBron is LeBron is almost superhuman, but there's a reason why Superman doesn't exist. Because if Superman existed, then we would, then I would be singing a different tune right now. I would be talking about something totally different. I would be talking about Lakers force a game force a game five. Could they come back? Like I was talking about that. But the Le- LeBron's not superhuman. So you like it's just like the, 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 it's not like it's fair questioning to be like, oh, can the Lakers get a game? Can the Lakers force a three oh comeback? Can the Lakers force a game five? But when the attention is fully on the Lakers and like, oh, what can they do to get the series? What can they do to get back in the series? Why aren't we looking at the other side at the Denver Nuggets and saying, you know what? These, this team is good. This team is really freaking good. And they did, they never, like, I'm sure they did, but not as often as they were trying to talk about like, oh, can the Lakers do this? Can the Lakers do that? Like, Sometimes you just gotta like, like you just gotta can it with like these big market teams and big names and stuff. And you just gotta look at the the other team and be like, you know, this team's playing much better, man. It's gonna be hard for them to have come back 3-0. And the worst thing, the worst thing I saw with the verge of the Lakers being swept on Get Up on ESPN, they're not talking about oh, what can Denver do to close out a sweep? What can what you know? What, what's Denver's game plan or, 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 or even, or even the Lake, you know, what do the Lakers do to avoid the sweep at home? What, like any of that? They didn't talk about any of that. What did they talk about? They talked about, you know, the possibility, they talked about the possibility of Kyrie Irving being a Los Angeles Laker. No disrespect to Kyrie Irving, but what does he have to do with This whole series. Now you're just... Now it's just like... You're you're making it blatantly obvious that... You know, you're trying to find something to talk about the Lakers about. And I get... And look, I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, big market teams. Big names. But you wonder why... Like, we're all... You wonder why we're all sick of big name teams. Or big market teams and big names. Because... It take because these big market teams take away attention from you know other teams that are just better. Because all you talk, all you hear about during the West Conference Finals is what can the Lakers do to come back? What could the what could LeBron do? What will AD play better? Instead of just looking at Denver and being like, you know what, they're playing a lot better. It's gonna be really hard. You know the Lakers could do this, AD could do this, but it's gonna be they're gonna have to do it flawlessly. You at least show respect, man. Instead of just being like, well, "What will the Lakers do? What will the Lakers do?" You know, I think they need to do this with them. Like, you wonder why, like, a general. Well, you wonder why a general consensus, like a general consensus of most hated NBA team, is either the Lakers, the Celtics, or the Knicks, or all three, or two of three, or what, like, whatever. You wonder why? Because those are the big market teams that get tons of attention and don't do anything. They all they always fall to a better team in the playoffs, you know. The Knicks came in with a ton of hype, and all the fans are like, like you know, parading in the streets like they had won the title, and then they lost in six to the Heat. You had you have the Celtics right now, like oh, can they can Jason Tatum go go get his first chip after a crazy Game Seven, which is a fair argument, by the way. Uh, I get it; it's a fair one, but. Then they're on the verge of being swept by Miami, and now you've got like, and then over in the West Coast you've got the Lakers. Like, oh, can LeBron lead this remarkable to comeback from two and ten to start the season and lead them to, uh, NBA championship? And then they just got swept by Denver. But the narrative is still on the big market teams. It, it's it's just it's just frustrating because like. It feels like I'm reiterating points, which I probably am. I tend to do that. However, all I'm trying to say is: look, you could talk about big market teams all you want, because that's why they're big market, because they get you the money. But when, but when they're getting whooped and they're getting, and they're getting, you know, beaten bad by better teams, don't try to find excuses for them. Just look at the facts and and just be like, you know what? They're playing a better team. probably they they could come back but it's probably but they're probably gonna lose you know it's man Uh, it's just it's frustrating um speaking i talked a little bit about miami but i want to go back and talk about the game three between the miami heat and the boston celtics because it just shows how much better the my like despite the win disparity like um, I think Miami has a plus thirteen win differential, uh, or like basically thirteen more wins than the, than the Heat. But the Miami Heat look like the better team by far. They absolutely destroyed the Celtics in Game Three. It was the I think it was the largest margin of victory by an eighth seed in NBA playoff history, which is nuts. Jimmy Butler like. He was like, yeah, you could tell like he was still having a good game and stuff, and he was still doing his thing. But he wasn't even the best player on that team. Four former undrafted players, which by the way, um, I agree with Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra said about these players like the narrative now isn't that they were undrafted. The narrative is is that we picked them up, we developed them, and they're performing for us. And I agree with that. But these former undrafted players, Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent. Caleb Martin, Max Struess combined for seventy nine points. Gabe Vincent actually led all scorers in the game with twenty nine, which is super, which is incredibly impressive. Duncan had like twenty two. Uh Struess had double digits, but a little over, and then Caleb Martin had like eighteen. With you know, the amount of um, the amount of production on that team is just insane heck bam out of bio had a great game you know he wasn't you know he, he he wasn't scoring a lot and he did have a he did have a couple of good plays he had a really big lob he had a nasty spin move on jay on Jalen brown for a dunk but i think like his defensive performance was very good as well and miami smoked boston from three miami shot 54.3 percent from three to the Celtics 26.2% and like my god like you know what do you what do you say about the Celtics right here's what i say why are you guys going to blame grant williams for you know talking trash with jimmy butler like was it the best decision no because everybody because what what michael jordan always said everybody talks it's easy To talk when you're up, right? And like, and but the thing is, is with Grant Williams is he went out there, and he gave and he gave Jimmy Butler not not a run for his money, but he he returned the energy that Jimmy Butler's been playing with. And this is the only form of energy I've seen with the Boston Celtics. The only form of energy. Like when you look at Jason Tatum and you look at Jalen Brown and you're like. What do you guys? uh, I mean, Jason Tatum had a good game, uh, had a good game one and two, but poor fourth quarter performances. And Jalen Brown has just been straight up awful. But like, like he's Grant Williams went out there and returned the energy, and you guys are trashing him. Why aren't we looking at you know the two superstars for the Celtics and be like, you know, why aren't you playing with that energy? Why aren't you playing with that passion? Why are you just going out there looking like, looking like it's, you know, it's nothing. But it's everything. This is a shot at the NBA Finals. And it's even, it gets even worse. When I saw a tweet yesterday that said, like, there's a report that Joe Mazzulla is going to, and this is not my words, this is somebody else's words, is going to, quote unquote, pay the price for the Celtics O3 side. First of all, what does that mean? What is that? <laughs> what does that mean that Joe Mazzulla is going to pay the price? What does that mean? That that's a bit weird. Th- the you could have used better terminology. You could have been like, you know, the uh I don't know, but you probably could have said something more. I can't even think of anything off the top of my head, but you could probably use something better than pay the price. You acted like he killed somebody. I mean, he did kill, I mean, the team did kill Celtics fans' hopes and dreams, but, you know, it's not a physical form of murder, everybody. All right. But, you know, the possibility of Joe Mazzulla being fired after, you know, his, you know, after his first year where he led the Celtics to the second best record in the league, that presents a, a continuing issue with NBA teams and their head coaches. That, coaches are being used as scapegoats for the team's failures and yes the coaches the coach is just you know their um their involvement and whether they you know underperform in the playoffs is definitely on them but sometimes it feels like nba teams act like it's all on them when it's really not like you've got like is it ask me this right is it you know I agree with Doc Rivers. I said this before. I agree with Doc Rivers being fired because Doc Rivers has a history of blowing leads in the playoffs. But is it his fault that Joel Embiid and James Harden flop in a game seven? No. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is it Monty Williams' fault that Devin Booker and Kevin Durant flop in a game six, an elimination game against the Denver Nuggets? No. Is it Mike Budenholzer's fault that Giannis Antetokounmpo isn't with the team for two games, and or basically without without the team for three games, and they drop two of them? You can't make you can make um you can make adjustments, but like this dude, like Budenholzer came off a championship two years ago, two years ago, this dude won a title and every year and yeah a big reason the the bucks have been as good as they are is because of Giannis Antetokounmpo i get it but if they have like a guy but if they have a coach like steven silas out there and i hate using this because i don't think it's steven silas's fault that houston was bad but for example if you have a guy like steven silas out there do you really think the bucks are going to be as good no and Budenholzer had a huge um, impact on that team. If I remember correctly, most of his tenure throughout, like with the Bucks, he was one of, if not the one of the top seeds or the top teams, excuse me, in the East every year. And two years, two years removed from winning an NBA title, he gets fired. After going up, after going up against like what what we look at now is probably the best eighth seed that has ever existed in NBA history. It, like, why why though? And then if if Joe Missoula gets fired, you know the youngest coach. And, and people have said before. And I've heard people saying like you know Missoula, like they've been comparing him to Eme Odoka and said like you know, uh, people saying like you know Odoka was a rookie coach, you know. But they were saying, like, oh, you know, but Odoka was ca- was improving. Like, yes, Joe Mazzulla hasn't had the greatest of playoffs, but you guys are acting like he's not thirty, mid-30s. Excuse me. You guys are acting like he can't improve. He certainly can. So why are we now creating this narrative? Excuse me. Need some water. Uh, why are we now creating this narrative like, oh, you know, Imu Odoka, you know, he was constantly improving. He came up short. But Joe Mazzula, oh, he's mid-30s, you know. And, yeah, he's not having the best playoffs, but he's not going to improve. So he might as well go. What is that? What is that? That's a stupid narrative. Come on. So if Joe Mazzula does end up getting fired by the Celtics, this is going uh, to create a very big problem with NBA coaches and players. Because... Over the past, like, you know, decade and a half, the NBA has slowly become a players league because of Adam Silver, who's a players comm- commissioner. He's probably the only players commissioner I've ever seen out of the four major sports. Definitely not Rob Manfred. But with that, like, yeah, it gives more power to the players, but along with that comes, you know, like, you know, the question of, like, Who's more to blame for a team's shortcomings? Is it the coaches? You know, like Monty Williams and Mike Budenholzer and Doc Rivers and possibly Joel Missoula. or is it the players that are coming up short? Is it Jalen Brown who has completely fallen flat on his face on the in the Eastern Conference Finals and might leave Boston? Is it Jason Tatum who has had good games in who had good game games one and two? but had a bad game three and bad performances in the fourth quarters of, pre, of of said games, you know? Is it, you know, is it Monty Williams' fault? I, I've said it before, you know, or is it like, is it Devin Booker or, or Kevin Durant who have bad performances? Is it Joel Embiid and James Harden who absolutely fall, again, like Jalen Brown, fall flat on their faces in game seven? Is it the players' fault or the coaches' fault? because you can you can use coaches for so long as scapegoats until people start getting, you know, fishy and like, okay, what's going on here? Because here's the deal. Doc Rivers, I agree with the firing. But Doc Rivers has has had a ton of regular season success with the Philadelphia 76ers. The Phoenix Suns are two years removed from an NBA Finals appearance. They're one year removed from the greatest season they've had in their franchise's history. Both of those seasons were under Monty Williams. The Milwaukee Bucks are two years removed from an NBA championship. Mike, Boone, Mike Boonholzer two years later gets fired. And Joe Mazzula, fresh off of you know taking over for Emil Doka in a firestorm of a situation leads the Celtics to the second-best record in the NBA, and the Easter Conference Finals berth, and can get fired? you telling me that's not weird? That's not a pattern of coaches being used as scapegoats for players because, you know, people don't want to blame the players or whatever? Like, you guys are telling me that's not weird? It, it, uh, it, it's definitely weird to me, man. I, I don't know. So, yeah, that wraps up uh, the basketball side of things. Moving on to hockey, a lot of stuff happened. Uh, Saturday kicked off with game two between the Florida Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Matthew Kuchuk and Sergey Bobrovsky came up big again as the Panthers prevailed in another overtime game to take a 2-0 lead. Uh, scoring began early with Jalen Chatfield knocking in a goal. Uh, a stick, I, I forget what they're called, but it, was like a, it, bound, it basically bounced off a stick, went into the net. Uh, from Sebastian Ajo. However, in the next period, that was the first period, so we went in the second period, Florida's captain Alexander Barkov tied the game on a nasty goal in the second period. He went, like, between the legs, like, under the eh, – eh. just look it up. It's nasty. Third period would go by scoreless before Matthew Kachuk played hero again and won the game for the Panthers. If you don't remember, game one, uh, Matthew Kachuk scored the overtime winner in double in quadruple overtime to give the Panthers uh, the win. And once again, he scores another game-winning goal in overtime. And I'm going to talk about him later, you know, because the Panthers and the Hurricanes played last night. But Sergei Bobrovsky is like, dude, he's a, he, a con Smythe. He's got to be a con Smythe trophy uh, contender. Because the way the dude's been playing so far in the playoffs has been, like, otherworldly. Following the goal by Chatfield, which was one goal on three shots on goal the carolina hurricanes would shoot 35 shots on goal not one went in that's 35 straight shots on goal after a goal with like that was not even two minutes into the game 35 straight shots on goal and not one went in and it gets even crazier in game three as Borovsky, again, stole the show, the Panthers blanked the Hurricanes 1-0 to take a 3-0 lead with the verge of going to the uh, uh, Stanley Cup Finals. The lone goal of the game came from a power play as Sam Reinhart gave the Panthers the lead that they would not give up in the second period. Can- the Hur- Carolina Hurricanes had a much wider margin of shots on goal over Florida as they had 32 uh, shots on goal to f- to, pan- to the Panthers' 17. But not one of those 32 went in. Not one of those 32 went in. Sergei Bobrovsky pitched a shutout in the playoffs, and now the Panthers are on the verge of a Stanley Cup. Uh, of a Stanley Cup. This is the Sergei Bobrovsky that they signed, man. This is the guy that they signed. This is what they wanted from him. And like I remember, like the big reason why the why the tide turned for uh, the Panthers in the series against Boston. Was because of Sergey Bobrovsky. Was be- it was because of his monster performances. <sighs> but you know, like man, and, and to think like he's doing this to one of the best offenses in the league in Carolina, like this, like th- this is an unparalleled um, run from Sergey Bobrovsky. Moving over to the Western Conference, uh, Chandler Stevenson played hero as the Golden Knights defeated the uh, Dallas Stars in overtime to take a 2-0 series lead. This was Sunday. Uh, Dallas took an early lead, RF of Miro Heiskanen, 1-0, but Vegas responded with a Mark Stone power play goal to make it 1-1 going into the second. Excuse me. Uh, Jason Robertson capitalized on a power play goal to make it 2-1 Stars going into the third, but Jonathan Marchessault would tie it late in the third. Jason, uh, overtime would give way to a uh, a quiet third period. Excuse me, I'm getting a little messed up. But uh scoreless third period would give way to overtime. Um, or I think Jonathan... Oh, no, no, I'm wrong. I had it right the first time. Uh, Jonathan saw so tied it in a third, so it wasn't a scoreless third. My apologies. Um, overtime, however, Chandler Stevenson would... Um, would win the game on a snapshot that got past Jake Ottinger to give Vegas the win and a two zero series lead. Um, this is this that's been a very fun series down there in Vegas so far, and obviously I talked about before like the the key with the Dallas Stars has always been Jake Ottinger. but in that in that series against the Seattle Kraken, he got exposed bad a lot of games, and so far in the Vegas series, he's not been having a good series. And if Dallas wants any chance of trying to like, you know, um, even this series, then they're going to have to, um, then they're most certainly going to have to get big performances from Jay Godinger, but they have to have better offensive performances, um, to, you know, to outscore, to outplay these Vegas Golden Knights because this Vegas Golden Knights offense is electric and it, 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 it is crazy. So the keys for the game tonight, for Game Three tonight between the Knights and the Stars, for the Stars, they have to get a good performance from Jay Gottinger, and they have to have a good offensive performance. You know, I, I like that. That should seem obvious, but with the way that the Vegas Golden Knights have been playing, like if Vegas gets up on them early and they don't let that lead go because they they generally don't, and even when they're down, they're still, they still they still come back. Even when they're down, they still come back. They were down twice in game two came back and came back both times so that's going to be a very big game three tonight and the final uh, recap um that i have for you guys before my nfl draft summary was um the mega boxing fight for the undisputed lightweight title between undefeated devin haney and vasily lomachenko uh in Vegas, Devin Haney would would defend his undisputed lightweight championship, um, Improved to thirty and zero over Lomachenko uh, by unanimous decision. Uh, though I do want to say, whoever scored that uh, fight one sixteen to one twelve, you're an idiot, because that fight was a lot closer, a lot closer. That uh, here, here, so basically, let me explain. Devin Haney, right at that fight, you know he had good control the first half more than a fight, like you know between the first seven eight rounds he had good control. However, Lomachenko had great tenth and eleventh rounds that he clearly won, and most of and even though Haney you know got most of those you know early rounds, he those were still close rounds. You know they could have given those to Lomachenko, and Haney you know he landed a better percentage of punches and power punches, but Loma. He landed more punches, he landed more jabs, he landed more power punches, probably because he threw more, but, you know, that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Devin Haney had a lot of good work to the body, which was a key factor in this fight. Uh, Loma, however, he was using his, um, insane hand speed, as he's known for, and his combinations to push the pace, as shown in the 10th and 11th rounds. Um... I, I, I don't know, man. I I watched that fight and I really thought uh Loma won that fight. I really think he did. Uh, do I like would I saw, call somebody an idiot for saying Devin Haney won the fight? No, he could have. Like yes, I it's it's strange because like you know when you, you know when you watch a boxing fight and even if you're not uh even if you're not a boxing genius like you watch a fight and especially if you watch like the tenth and eleventh rounds between Haney and Loma. You look at this and you're like, you watch the 10th and 11th and you're looking at it and you're like, oh, Loma definitely won those rounds. However, you know, you look at the 12th round and, you know, Devin Haney definitely, I think he definitely got that round. But you look at rounds one through nine and those rounds are extremely close. Those rounds are very, very, very close. And, you know, one could score for Devin Haney and uh, somebody else could score for Loma. So is it insane to say like, you know what? you know devin haney won that fight uh no it's really not like excuse me like heck um the judges that scored it 115 to 113 those are for haney those are good scores those are good scores because you could definitely say that devin haney won that fight but 116 to 112 i don't know about that man like i i still i'm still in the boat that loma won that fight However, if you want to give that fight to Devin Haney, I, I, I understand it. And I can look at that fight and I could look and I could see like, you know what, eh, Devin Haney probably won that fight because the first half of that fight, man, he was really in his groove. He had good work to the body. He had, on um, he was landing smart punches and you know, those 10th and 11th rounds were very evident for Loma. Yes. But you know, the close rounds Um, you know, like, close rounds, it could be giving it to Devin Haney, and, um, you know, and, you know, the fact that Devin Haney, you know, looked much better through rounds one through eight, nine, whatever, up until, you know, the final three rounds, um, that probably edged the fight towards more Devin Haney, but I'm, I still believe Loma won that fight, and with that, you know, with that loss, like, his future's up in the air, and, like, because he, he could have won that fight. And, you know, Lomachenko, he was fighting in Ukraine um, and passed up a fight with George Cambosos for the Undisputed Lightweight title. And then Devin Haney came in, beat George Kambosos to take that title, and then beat him in the rematch. So this might have not ever happen, you know, if um, Lomachenko, you know, never... If he, never, if he decided he didn't... Um, he wanted to focus on boxing, but, you know, he made the valiant decision to defend his country uh to defend ukraine pass up a chance at lightweight at a lightweight undisputed lightweight title and now when he has that shot and he fought probably the best fight he could have uh against one of the best boxers in the world and devin haney and he comes up short like that like it stings man i i'm still in the boat that Loma won but you know if you say that devin haney won that fight i agree with you. i i i, I I'm not going to call you an idiot. I'll just say, you know what, I agree to disagree um, between us. But, you know, you say that Devin Haney won that fight, and that's fine. As for Devin Haney, you know, he's likely going to have one more big fight at lightweight, uh, which is going to be, it's going to be interesting because, you know, he's either going to fight Shakur Shakur Stevenson or Javante Davis, one of the two. um, Whom he'll fight? I don't know. It, i i, th- I kind of think it all depends on you know who makes the most on like you know who uh will make him the most money so it's probably going to be javante davis um but you know once devin haney you know once that fight you know it's against Shakur or javante goes by he's likely going to go up to 140 to fight uh josh taylor tiafimo lopez so that's that's probably going to be the outlook on this but overall you know despite the decision you know despite the controversy it was a great fight it, it really was a great fight it, it, it was a great fight a lot of action really good really good boxing um and although i'm trying to get into boxing a little bit you know and i don't really understand much of it i enjoyed it you know for being a boxing novice and with all those headlines out of the way, I'm get it. I'll get you to my NFL draft summary and grades for each team. Uh, it's a lot to go through, so I am go. So bear with me, all, and um, I hope with I bear with myself because I remember when I did the um mock draft, I was tired, man. I was tired. Uh, but let's get straight into it. Starting off with the Arizona Cardinals, their draft class consisted of Ohio State tackle Paris Johnson Jr., uh, LSU edge rusher BJ O'Jalari, Syracuse cornerback Garrett Williams, Stanford wide receiver Michael Wilson, UCLA guard John Gaines second, Houston QB Clayton Toon, Auburn linebacker Owen Papo, Louisville cornerback K. Trell Clark, and West Virginia defensive line Dante Stills. Um, uh, Cardinals needed a lot of everything, to be honest with you. Their biggest needs were offensive line, defensive line, secondary. And they made a big trade uh, with the Houston Texans to move back. Um, to and, and then they would move up with the Lions to select Paris Johnson Jr. Uh, I thought it was a great move, um, not only because they get the premier blindside blocker in the draft to give Kyler, you know, whenever he comes back from injury, great protection on the blind side but not only that they traded back trade up and were able i think they were able to retain the first round picks and the third round picks that they got from houston in that deal so a good move from them um they will go on to address the defensive line next uh when they took lsu's bj Ojalari who's ultra aggressive off the snap and he has the arsenal pass rush moves He's, he's likely going to make an immediate impact for that team after J.J. Watt retired and then Zach Allen uh, signed with the Broncos. Arizona addressed their poor secondary by taking uh, Garrett Williams and K. Clark. Uh, Cardinals ramped up their trenches on both sides of the ball when they drafted UCLA guard John Gaines for the offensive line. And West Virginia's Dante Stills for the defensive line. Arizona added an athletic but undersized linebacker in Auburn's Owen Papo to pair alongside Isaiah Simmons and uh zayvon collins though papo could be a special teams player but we'll see and they would round out their draft by selecting stanford wide receiver mike wilson and houston quarterback clayton toon as i said i give them an a on this um I think that it was huge for them that they were able to trade back with the Texans get a big haul and then able to trade up with the Lions and draft a the, the premier blindside blocker in this draft Paris Johnson jr. that was huge they also addressed their edge rushing woes with a great player in BJ O'Gilary, um who's super fast he's he's incredibly fast really strong is a great pass rusher very smooth um Garrett Williams I thought was a good pick too and it kind of sucks because um his draft his draft stocks kind of hampered by the fact that he got hurt um in October um but they also made good picks like uh I've liked the Dante Stills pick uh I like the Johnny Gaines pick I really like the K. Shaw Clark pick I think Clark is a very underrated player so I would give them an A mainly because they selected pretty good value for what they got and they all and they and the fact that they were able to trade back and get um big first round and third round picks for 2024 while also trading up and getting the premier blindside blocker in this draft that that's huge man that's really big moving on to the Atlanta Falcons their biggest issue coming to the draft was kind of a lot of defense but mainly pass rush and secondary they would address that in free agency when they signed Calais Campbell they signed Bud Dupree uh jesse bates and they would trade for jeff akuda so at their first pick the eighth pick atlanta would start the draft by taking the uber talented Bijan robinson to pair with tyler alshire the falcons would then add depth to their old line with syracuse offensive tackle matt bergeron and later on uh south carolina guard javon Gwynn. bergeron can slide in that guard with his size and athleticism so he you know he could play left guard uh, or right, I don't know which, which side Chris Lindstrom plays on. I apologize for not knowing. Uh, but Gwynt's use is intriguing because he doesn't really move well laterally. So we'll see what happens there. Atlanta will then address their defensive needs by selecting uh, Ohio State edge rusher Zach Harrison, Utah quarterback Clark Phillips III, and Alabama safety DeMarco Hellams. Helms is a longer edge rusher, but lacks adequate pass rush ability. So, you know, maybe, like, he's he's big, but he doesn't really know how to, like, uh, pass rush. So, you know, guys like Calais Campbell and Bunterpree could probably help his development. Uh, Phillips is undersized, not very athletic, but he's fantastic in coverage and could be a good slot player. And Helms is a great run defender, which can give uh, new defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen a variety of options to use him. However, you know, although the uh, Falcons... Uh, got good value for what, for, you know, the picks that they had. I still give them a B minus because, like, and this isn't a knock on Bijan Robinson, you know, because B. John Robinson's talented. He's super talented. However, you know, I felt like they had bigger needs to address than, you know, taking B. John Robinson. I think that they could have, I, I, I think that they were um, really banking on Tyree Wilson being there at eight before the Raiders picked him up you know because imagine tyree wilson with that defensive line you know because obviously he has the physical tangibles he has the traits but imagine him with that development alongside um calais campbell and bud dupree like he could be a monster in a couple years um uh, you know overall i like you know matt bergeron's a good pick um clark phillips is nice i like that pick but you know i think they could have done a little bit better in terms of you know their first round pick and taking a edge rusher that could develop along that could develop with the veteran presence of campbell dupree so i have them at a b minus excuse me a water break um moving on to the baltimore ravens despite lamar jackson re-signing um and the ravens picking up odell Beckham jr they're still thin at whiteout right so, the Ravens draft class consists of y, uh, Boston College receiver Zay Flowers, Clemson linebacker Trenton Simpson, Ole Miss uh, edge rusher Tavius Robinson, Stanford quarterback Hugh Blue Kelly, uh, Oregon offensive tackle Malasela Al- Almove Laulu. I stumbled over that a little bit, definitely did. And USC guard Andrew Voorhees. Um, Zay Flowers is a shifty, deep threat wideout. Um, so that's a really good pick for them because Flowers can really make a lot of noise. A lot of people have been comparing him to Antonio Brown, the player, not the person, thank God. But, you know, say Flowers, you know, I think that's a really good pick for them. Uh, they would get good value with Clemson linebacker Trent Simpson, he's a versatile defender that could play in coverage. He can also play in the box. Uh, tavis Robinson is a physical specimen, but he could improve his pass rush Arsenal. Uh, Kelly was a nice steal in the fifth round. He's a corner who's both great in man and zone. He had four years of starting experience at Stanford. The Ravens would also select a redshirt player in uh, USC's Andrew Voorhees. He has upside with the strength, but he's he's going to need time to recover with his ACL injury. Uh, Reminder, this is the same guy that benched like 34, 34, 35, 36 reps on bench press with a torn ACL. He's a freak. So with this class, I'm going to give it a B. Uh, I like the Zay Flowers pick. I think Trent Simpson is a very versatile linebacker that can uh, that with the right development, and I think the Baltimore has the right development for him, uh, especially with you know Roquan Smith being there. I think it's a good pick. I don't really like the Robinson pick. You know, like he he's a big guy, but like he doesn't really have much to him um, in terms of like pass rushing ability. I thought Kelly was a steal. Um, I don't really know how to feel about the Amove Laul pick. Like, it's just kind of there. And Andrew Voorhees could be really good. He could be a future replacement for uh, Ben Powers, you know, when he returns, for, when uh, Voorhees returns from injuries. But, you know, that's a year. And, when you and you know, he could have been picked later on. It's all that stuff. So I'm going to give him a B because well, I really like the Flowers pick, the Simpson pick, the Kelly pick, the Voorhees pick. But the other two picks, I'm just not a fan of. Moving on to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Bills came into the draft with big needs at receiver, offensive line, and linebackers. They made a small jump in round one as they picked up the premier pass-catching tight end prospect in Dalton Kincaid. It's a massive value pick for a team that's desperate for a premier target alongside Diggs. Um, they would also draft interior lineman Osiris Torrance out of Florida um, with the second-round pick, and they easily could have taken him in with their first round pick um torrance he's both he's large he's got great strength he has all he has also got really good movement to be an immediate impact player for buffalo they would also trade up in the third to select Tulane's dorian williams uh linebacker who's fantastic off ball uh they would also select florida wide receiver justin shorter who's a big receiver at 6'4 234 and 34 inch arms he could be another big threat for a big a big deep threat for buffalo um alongside Gabe Davis. Then you've got um Nick Broker, uh guard from Ole Miss, his versatile experience, uh and strong sides on the left, so you could provide more O line depth to a team that really needs it. I give this great I give the Buffalo Bills an A. Because you trade up, you don't give up a lot and you select the premier pass catching tight end, Dolan Kincaid, which is a fantastic pick to give. Um, Uh, Josh Allen another weapon then you give Josh Allen more protection by selecting Nick Broker um, who's very who's as I mentioned versatile he's experienced and then you got um, Osiris Torrance who's um, an absolute freak and he had a great uh, showing against Georgia against Jalen Carter so you know you go watch that film see how that pans out Dorian Williams I thought was a nice pick after Tremaine Edmonds left in free agency I think he could fit in well with that team and I liked uh, Justin Shorter. I, I I mean I mean Griffin didn't like it. I I'm talking to you, Griff. So if you're listening to this and talking to you, I like this Justin Shorter pick because you know if they can develop him right, he can be a big deep threat receiver. Um, you know the only pick I really didn't like was uh, Oregon State. O- Oregon State corner Alex Austin. But other than that, man, like the, the Bills had a really good draft. Um, I give them an A. Moving on to the Carolina Panthers. With the Panthers giving up a premium haul to the Bears for a number one pick, you have to hit on this pick. And the Panthers draft class consists of Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, Ole Miss wide receiver Jonathan Mingo, Oregon edge rusher DJ Johnson, North Carolina State guard Chandler Zavala, and Florida State safety James Robinson. The Panthers would hit on the number one pick by drafting an undersized, but insanely talented. Ignore the undersized. He's insanely talented in Bryce Young. He's incredibly smart despite his size deficiency, and he's certainly going to serve to be Carolina's signal caller for years. Hopefully, Ole mrs. Jonathan Mingo is a very interesting prospect. He wasn't productive in college, but he got good size, athleticism, and fluidity, and he could be. And I think it's very underrated picks, and I thought it was a, he could be a really good weapon for Bryce Young. They attempted a reach uh, with Oregon edge rusher DJ Johnson, who lacked production but has good size and athleticism. Uh, Chandler Saval is a very underrated prospect and he had much experience and uh, explosive explosiveness on the offensive line and Florida State's Jamie Robinson was a nice day three pickup he's a great defender at the point of attack but his fast play his fast pace of play leads him to be over aggressive and miss tackles. Despite that I'm giving the Panthers a B plus. Um, I love the Bryce Young pick I think it's the right pick. Um, the Jonathan Migo pick is also really good. Um, I think he's a very underrated prospect and could really turn some heads next year. Chandler Savala was a great pick as was Jamie Robinson, but that DJ Johnson pick, I don't know, man. I don't like that DJ Johnson pick. I, I, I really don't like it. Like, you know, if you want to reach on a guy in like a day three pick, um, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round, if you want to reach on a big athlete type of guy, You know, those are the times to do it. I don't know if you kind of reach – I don't know if you're wanting to reach on big guys with athleticism in the third round when, you know, you have other options on the table. Uh, Still, I give the uh, Panthers a B-plus here. I think they had a good draft. I think they got their guy in Bryce Young, and that is what it is. Next up, the Chicago Bears. Um, after trading down for the first pick, the Bears will trade down one spot with the Eagles to take Tennessee's Darnell Wright. He, 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 you could say he's a reach, but with Chicago's pressing knee for tackle and Wright's impressive play in 2022, he should be an immediate starter for, on the right side as Braxton Jones protects Jackson Field's blind side. Particularly if you're looking for good play from Darnell Wright, go look uh, at his uh, film from uh, the Alabama game where he was primarily b- blocking Will Anderson. It's fantastic. Uh, Chicago would add depth to the defensive line with Florida's uh, Jervon Dexter, South Carolina's Zach Pickens, and Kennesaw State's Travis Bell. Dexter has athleticism and build to be a productive player, but we need to see the production on the field to, you know, determine that. Pickens is an athletic defensive tackle with pass rush ability. Bell's a smaller prospect from Kennesaw State, but, you know, with his – you know, but with his school and size, he you know he's strong, he's explosive, and he's exactly what the Bears are looking for in the middle of that defensive line. Chicago would add to their thinner secondary with Miami's Tyreek Stevenson, and though he's not very athletic, he was very productive both for Georgia and for the Miami Hurricanes this past season. Uh, they also added um, offensive playmakers in Texas running back Roshan Johnson and Cincinnati wide receiver Tyler Scott. Roshon Johnson was overshadowed by Bijan at Texas, but, you know, he amassed an 80-plus PFF grade in four straight years with Texas. Scott's converted running back to wide receiver who has issues with drops, but, you know, his big play presence, you know, backed up by 16.4 yards per catch in 2022. Noah Sewell, they they took, you know, he's a physical linebacker that struggles with changing direction. But being in a linebacker core with TJ Edwards and Jermaine Edmonds could help him, and, you know, he's not expected to do a lot quite yet. So he could develop that, and you know he could become a bit of a steal, you know, down the road. And Minnesota defensive back Terrell Smith came into his own and had his first big year in twenty twenty two. And his size and play strength could translate to a move to safety. He could sit behind Eddie Jackson, Jaquan Brisker, and you know if one of the two were to leave, he he'd slot in. Yeah, he could play, or hey hey, he could even play slot if they wanted him to. Um, in terms of this, I give the Chicago Bears an A+. plus. Like, I, I, I wouldn't doubt that whatsoever. This is taking into account the trade haul that they got from the Carolina Panthers. That included an array of first-round picks or, or, or big picks in this year and next year's draft and DJ Moore. And then they also got the guy that they were looking for in a tackle in Darnell Wright, along with adding a lot of D-line depth. Um, and some good uh, defensive backs. I, I I think they had a great draft. I think that um, they're primed for uh, not a big step to improvement, but they're definitely going to improve in 2023. Moving on to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Bengals came to the draft F with needs at secondary and defensive line. They would address the latter, the defensive line, by drafting Miles Murphy, a productive player throughout his career at Clemson. And many thought he had the upside of a top 10 pick, so, you know, that's a that's pretty good uh i i thought he was going top 10 top 15 ish um with eli apple jesse bates and von bell all leaving a free agency the Bengals would draft michigan's uh corner d would draft three defense backs that being michigan corner dj turner alabama safety jordan battle and miami corner dj ivy turner is an absolute burner evident with his combine 40 yard dash which was the highest this year or the fastest this year excuse me and he was kind of picked on at Michigan, but he played very well. And um, he only allowed less than 50% of his passes to be caught. Battle should be an immediate starter for Cincy, as he was the one, one of the most consistent DBs since, in college football the past three seasons. Ivy was good in coverage in 2022, but, you know, he could be better at actually making plays, like, you know, getting interceptions and batting passes and all that. Um, the Cincinnati, Cincinnati would also draft Charlie Jones. He could serve as a future replacement for Tyler Boyd uh in the slot as he only dropped three percent of catchable passes in 2022 illinois uh chase brown was also i think it was a steal in the fifth um you know he has fumbling issues he's not a great receiver but his downhill running could certainly give the Bengals a running back too after samaji p ryan left with that all being said i'm going to give the uh Bengals a b plus i think that the miles murphy pick is really good i like how they address the defense of the secondary with turner battle and heck even dj ivy uh is a pretty good pick um in the later rounds charlie jones and chase brown were also good picks but on top of that they selected a punter you know you know we'll see how that works out and they also selected a princeton wide receiver and andre ayasivas you know it, it, they're not like you know flashy picks or whatever but you know murphy turner battle jones brown ivy they're great picks i really like them and i give the bengals a b plus uh, to an a minus moving on to my team the cleveland browns uh after trading for former jets wide receiver elijah moore the browns continue to add weapons for deshaun watson by drafting tennessee wide receiver cedric tillman he's one of the bigger receivers in the draft class not plentiful in big receivers and he also possesses good route running and ball skills the Browns built up their defensive line by drafting Baylor's Siaki Ika and Missouri's Isaiah McGuire. Ika is a big and versatile defensive tackle with the ability to rush the passer and stuff the run. It was evident by his um, pass rushing grade this past season, which was pretty good, I think. Um, McGuire has the size of a prototypical NFL edge rusher, and despite an average burst off the, scri- off the line of scrimmage, off the snap, he was still a productive edge rusher for the Tigers. Uh, Cleveland bolstered their <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Cleveland bolstered their offensive line depth with two Ohio State products in tackle Jawan Jones and center Luke Weipler. Jones' biggest attributes are obviously his size and length. He's a huge guy. He's big as hell. But he was also very good uh, laterally, you know, which made him a solid right tackle for Ohio State. So he could be a developmental prospect for our, the Cleveland Browns. Weibler had a day two grade for many teams. So getting a player like this in the sixth round is quite the grab with his athleticism and his really good play at center. The Browns also added a project QB with UCLA's Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He could be a solid backup to Deshaun Watson. And the Browns also picked up another Northwestern corner as they did with Greg Newsom and Cameron Mitchell, who is both a solid cover corner and a great tackler. I'm going to get and this call it bias as you will. I'm going to give the Browns an a plus. I'm just I'm not I'm not giving the Browns an a plus. I don't think they did that good. But you know, considering that they did not have a lot of picks in this draft, um, because of the Deshaun Watson trade, and like, and they didn't pick till the third round because of the Elijah Moore trade. Considering what they had, they had a good draft. You know, getting a big receiver in Cedric Tillman was bit was huge. You know, to just give that jump ball guy that and uh, with good speed and good route running like Tillman has. Um, they wanted to add more with the defensive line, even when they took Dalvin Tomlinson. So Siaki Ika is a good pick. Offensive line depth is a huge, huge thing with the Cleveland Browns right now. So taking DeWan Jones and Luke Weibler was a pretty good, was was really good for them. And hell, Cleveland Brown fans love when Ohio when they pick guys from Ohio State. Um, and I also like the Isaiah McGuire pick. I think DTR was a great pick as well. He could be a developmental guy behind um, Deshaun Watson and cam mitchell is a solid pick too i really like him so i got the browns with an a moving on to the dallas cowboys um the selecting mazzy smith defensive tackle for michigan wasn't the flashy pick the cowboys are known for making i thought they were gonna screw up um and take like jameer gibbs and i'll get to that but this is smart because smith provides fantastic run defense and athleticism for a team who struggles with run defense they would take uh, Michigan tight end Luke Schoonmaker. He has sub up upside for the Cowboys, but it's a bit of a reach. He struggles with contested passes. DeMarvian Overshone, Texas linebacker. has shown a lot of upside as an explosive off-ball linebacker. He's got good size and improvement in the run game. Uh, San Jose State edge Villamy Fajoko is a versatile lineman that showed that at, at San Jose State. Um, as he was able to both stuff the run and win pass rush situations. Asim Richards, North Carolina State tackle, struggled as a run. He struggled as a run defender, but he was good as a pass blocker for NC State. Eric Scott, uh, Southern Miss corner. He has good size and he's shown he can make an impact in coverage. Deuce Vaughn is an undersized back, but he could be in a, he could be in a predicament like Cavanti Turpin, where he could be like a gadget type player or even a returner. All in all, I have the Cowboys at a C. Um, I really like the Mazzy Smith pick. I think that was a real – I think that was – I had the Cowboys taking Mazzy Smith. I think it's a smart pick. Um, but, you know, Luke Schoonmaker, it, like, at that point, it's just like uh, – I don't know about that, man. Because, you know, he, he, he's he got athleticism and all that, but, like, he's just – you know, if, if they're looking for um, – you know, if they're looking for a guy – you know, to replace Dalton Schultz's productivity, then, you know, I don't know if Schoomaker was that guy. I think they were... I, they may have been baking on Luke Musgrave being there, but, you know, it, it is... What, I like the overshone pick. You know, it's it's solid. And, oops, excuse me, and the Fajoko pick's pretty good, too. But, like, Richards, I didn't like really like that pick. Um, Jalen Brooks, South Carolina receiver, it was kind of eh. Eric Scott Jr. was kind of an eh pick, too. Deuce Vaughn, it's okay pick it's just you know i i didn't really like the cowboys draft i had the greatest as a C. moving on to the denver broncos uh they would their first pick would be uh oklahoma wide receiver marvin mims he's a player that despite his size he plays a lot bigger than what he really is he can fly down the field make contested catches he was a good pick of a receiving core that needs some life injected into it Arkansas linebacker Drew Sanders He's a versatile defender that can both cover and rush the passer to go along with his great athleticism Riley Moss is a great zone quarter from Iowa with solid athleticism and a lot of experience Uh, For JL Skinner, uh, Boise State safety, his draft stock fell due to injury But he's 6'4", 220 and he presents a linebacker safety hybrid that would play closer to the line of scrimmage due to his skill set um, and that's kind of the tail end of it for the Broncos. I would give them a B. You know, due to the Russell Wilson trade, they didn't have a lot of picks. Most of it was for, with Seattle. <coughs> I need that. Me. Um, but I think they did pretty good for the picks they had. I really like the Drew Sanders pick. I think he's very underrated. Um, Marvin Mims was a solid pickup too. I like Riley Moss. Um... Every time I think of Riley Moss, I just think of the memes because Riley Moss is the very rare is the very rare white cornerback. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man. I it, it it like like you know how rare it is. Shout out to Jason Seahorn, the original white cornerback. <laughs> but all in all, I like the Denver Broncos draft. Um, it was okay, not great, but it was still good for what they got in the draft. They only had five picks and I give them a B. Moving on to the Detroit Lions, the Lions would make two big reaches at their first-round picks when they would take Alabama running back Jameer Gibbs, remember why I mentioned him earlier, and Iowa linebacker Jack Campbell. However, with the Lions' need at running back with DeAndre Swift being traded and Jamal Williams got, leaving in free agency, and they also need have a need at linebacker with a lack of true man in the middle, both players provide such play to Detroit. You know, Gibbs is likely going to fill the hole that Swift was meant to play in. You know, and Campbell will provide good range and athleticism at the linebacker position, but we're going to have to see how they pan out. The Lions would also make two great picks in the second round when they took Iowa tight end Sam Laporta and Alabama safety Brian Branch. Laporta is both physical and a great pass catcher, and Branch is a very versatile defensive back with great tackling and can play an immediate impact at nickel or safety. Uh, with Jared Goff nearing the end of his contract, it was smart of the Lions to take an older, but a more tied prospect than Hendon Hooker, who was a Heisman candidate for Tennessee in 2022. Uh, Western Kentucky defensive tackle Broderick Martin is a bit of a reach, but he's a bigger tackle that could fill a hole in the defensive line for Detroit. Uh, North Carolina wide receiver Antoine Green was a solid pickup on day three. He was saw, he has solid frame and catching ability and could make him a good student under Marvin Jones Jr., And you may think I might have given the Lions a bigger grade, but I give them a B-. Like, did their picks fill needs? Yes, it very much did. But, you know, those are big... You know, Gibbs and Campbell are big reaches, so you got to just look at it and you got to think... You got to think to yourself, like, will it play out? You know? That's what I'm most worried about is will they... Prove their you know selection pedigree you know will Gibbs prove that he was worth a 12th pick or will Jack Campbell prove that he was an 18th pick stuff like that but I really like the Sam Laporta pick and Brian Branch and Hendon Hooker pick so I'm a, so I'm really tempted to you know if if you could if you want to give him like a B to a B plus I would totally understand I'm just not too sold yet on you know if Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell were the correct Moving on to the Lions' NFC North rivals, the Green Bay Packers. Many thought a playmaker for Jordan Love would be at number 13, but it said the Packers went with a power rusher in Lucas Van Ness from Iowa. Oregon State tight end Luke Musgrave is an interesting option as a knee injury cut his season short, but his size and speed could help give Love a target downfield. Uh, Jaden Reed from Michigan State is fine as an athlete and he struggles with draws, but a Sear bowl uh, pro- showing propelled him up the rankings due to his release and route running. Auburn defensive tackle Colby Wooden is a solid interior defender with active hands it could be a versatile defender for Green Bay. Uh, Bowling Green edge rusher Carl Brooks struggles with athleticism, but he still produces with his limited repertoire. Uh, Central Michigan running back Lou Nichols has great size for a running back, and he had a productive 2021 at CMU. Um, Green Bay's hoping that they get that version of Lou Nichols. Uh, Iowa State's Anthony Johnson Jr. was a fast riser on draft boards due to his versatility, and he could project well as a starter down the road. Uh, and Kentucky cornerback Carrington Valentine has solid size, good speed, and versatility by playing in the swat in 2021, and then he played on the outside of the next season for Kentucky. For the Green Bay Packers, I give them a B. I really like the picks that they made. I think Lucas Van Ness is a solid pick. But I really thought that they could have gone Jackson Smith and Jigba there. I really think they could have. Um, And I think it would have been a great pick. You know, you get JSN. You pair him alongside Romeo Dobbs and um, Christian Watson. And you have a really good – you have a really good – uh, You have a really good core for Jordan Love to, you know, succeed. But other than that, like, uh, Luke Musgrave, I really like that pick. Jaden Reed's a bit interesting. I don't really like it that much. But, you know, he did have a good senior bowl performance. So maybe that translates, you know, to what JSN could be as a good route runner. Um, Colby Wooden was a good pick, in my opinion. I like that. Uh, Lou Nichols, solid. I really like the Anthony Johnson Jr. pick. I think he's very underrated. Carrington Valentine has a lot of upside due to his versatility and his uh, physical tangibles. So I like the the Packers draft. I think it was pretty good. Moving on to the Houston Texans. um, They got their guy at number two in C.J. Stroud. Then they traded a massive haul to the Cardinals to get the face of their defense in Will Anderson Jr. Um, Then they would go on to, um, in the second round, to draft um, Penn State center Drew Scruggs. And not only just Penn State center Drew Scruggs, but former Cathedral Prep Rambler, Drew Scruggs. Um, he's going to need some production, however, but he fits well in the Texan scheme, and he certainly could develop a key, into a key center for Houston due to them, you know, not really being deep there in the interior offensive the line. They would also draft uh, Houston wide receiver Nathaniel Dell. He's undersized, but his shiftiness and slot prowess make him a dynamic weapon for C.J. Stroud. Uh, Dylan Horton, he's an edge rusher, but he's a former safety and, you know, he's added weight. He's also maintained that, that same athleticism from playing safety. And he played well in both the run and the pass. So I thought that was a good pick. Um Henry Toto, uh, Alabama linebacker, is kind of like Noah Sewell, as I mentioned before. Being that he's physical but struggles in coverage, his physicality should make him valuable, though. And Pittsburgh safety Brandon Hill is a safety and slot type player who had a much better season coverage this year than in 2021. For the Houston Texans, I give them a B. Um, I think Stroud and Anderson Jr. picks were really good. Um, obviously, I love the Juice Scruggs pick because that's Cathedral Prep, baby. Uh, <laughs> I really like Nathaniel Dell, the Nathaniel Dell pick too, getting a local product. And I also like them getting um, Iowa State receiver Xavier Hutchinson. I think that was a very underrated pickup that's not talked about enough. I really like Hutchinson this past season. Dylan Horton was a solid pickup too and Brandon Hill could probably be really underrated um, as a special teamer even or even like a safety slot guy as I mentioned so I give the Texans a B to uh, close a B plus ah, what a break <laughs> uh moving on to the Indianapolis Colts um Colts got their man in Anthony Richardson you know, he's got a lot of upside and insane athleticism. I've already talked a lot about Anthony Richardson. I like that pick just because of the fact that they needed a guy like that. Ju- uh, Kansas State corner Julius Brents. He's both athletic, and he has great sizes, six foot three. His production with Indy will be left to be seen. Um, UNC wide receiver Josh Downs. He's a smaller slot player, but his separation in the slot is more one-of-a-kind. Uh, it, it, like, it's one-of-a-kind. and He's great in contested catchers for being his so small. BYU tackle Blake Freeland, he's a physical monster with fantastic athleticism, and he's shown run blocking prowess, but he's going to need to improve his pass blocking. Despite his combine, Northwestern uh, Northwestern Edge, of Adebore, he's going to need to improve his technique so that he can get more out of his play outside using his athleticism. But, you know, I thought it was a good steal. Uh, South Carolina corner Darius Russ he's a great prospect that checks a lot of boxes he's athletic, he can cover he's got great size and you know that all allows him to develop and I like that pick uh, Cal safety Daniel Scott, he's intelligent and he's versatile enough to play both safety and the slot, Miami tight end Will Mallory is a receiving threat but he's going to do to improve his blocking a little bit uh, for a later round corner, uh, Texas A and M's Jalen Jones. He's big, strong, and young, which works in his favor. He also works well in cover three. And Gus Bradley runs a lot of cover three. Colts defensive coordinator. Um, and Northern Northern Michigan tackle Jake Witt. He's a very interesting prospect. He's an unknown. He's kind of an unknown from a small school who possesses a lot of athleticism. I give the Colts an A here. I think Richardson was the right pick over Will Levis, and that's not a knock on Will Levis, but. Considering um, considering Shane Steichen's track record, um, having last season been a huge key in developing uh, Jalen Hurts, I think his I think Anthony Richardson's skill set is more sim- obviously it's more similar to Jalen Hurts than that of Will Levis. So I think it's smart for Steichen to have went out and got an athletic, athletically talented but needs some tuning up player in Anthony Richardson. Julius Brantz is a bit interesting because like his um excuse me his you know he's gonna need to improve but he has the physical traits to um you know that look good on paper Josh Downs was also a really good pick I like that a lot um I think he was one of the better receivers coming in this class Blake Freeland was a really nice pick you know he's a monster he's huge but you know he's gonna need to improve his pass blocking which you know that that could happen so we'll see how. so we'll see what happens added to me was a great pick in my opinion I think he's very underrated and he could certainly um, develop his pass rushing skills with time and couple that with that with his athleticism and he could be a really scary player Darius Rush and Daniel Scott I liked both those picks especially Darius Rush um, he was up there being compared with his teammate Cam Smith you know who's the better player and I like Rush a lot. Daniel Scott also has a lot of versatility. Will Mallory is a nice pick as a receiving tight end. You've also got Jalen Jones, who works well in cover three, as I mentioned. And the Colts run a lot of cover three, and I was, and so I give the Colts an A, and I I I'm pretty uh I'm pretty happy with that. Moving on to the Kansas City Chiefs, um, Felix and DK Uzama, Kansas State Edge. He's excellent at both getting pressure and making an account as in 2021 and 2022 29 of his 89 pressures resulted in sacks uh smu wide receiver rasheed rice will add another weapon for patrick mahomes he's both a deep threat and he can run screens because he was asked to you know do a little bit of everything at smu he's also insanely athletic which explains you know his fantastic contested catching ability Offensive of tackle um, from Oklahoma Wanya Morris. He has great size, but he suffers from a lack of starting experience and injuries. He could be a very but he could be a good if he's developed right. Virginia Tech Safety J- Chamari Connor, is a very versatile and experienced player who can cover tight ends to his physical tangibles, but he misses a lot of tackles. BJ Thompson, edge rusher from Stephen F. Austin, and he was very dominant for them in 2022. And his size at 6'6 and pass rush versatility served well. DeAndre Coburn's a big body that was solid on the run, but had his he had his best pass rushing season in 2022. Uh, and then you got Ball State corner Nick Jones was a sol- he was solid for the Cardinals. He played well in coverage. I'm gonna give the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs a B plus. I think they got a lot of val a lot of good value out of um very underrated players. I really like Felix Udike Uzama. I think Rasheed Rice is a great fit for uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, he could be a player that, you know, Miko Harmon was supposed to be. We never know. Shamari um, Connor is a solid pick being that he's very experienced and versatile. BJ Thompson's really underrated. I like that. I like the Kendrick Coburn pick, too. I don't really like the Wanya Morris pick because of, like, you know, him being inexperienced and having dealt with injuries. But if he's developed right, you know, He could be he could be a good you know right tackle because he got um or or he could be a good blindside blocker if possible because I think I don't know where Jawan Taylor is playing on the right or left side I'm not sure but I'm gonna give the Kansas City Chiefs a B plus I just you know I don't think they had enough um picks you know to make it a crazy draft. Moving on to the Los Angeles Chargers they would they would use their first round selection to take a big receiver. In TCU's Quentin Johnson, he's the, he has the ability to make people miss, but he's gonna need to have to, but he's gonna have to work on his drops. Um, he dropped a lot of passes, which is kind of which is a little unacceptable for how big the dude is. But you know he, he has time. Uh, they would also take USC edge rusher Tuli Tuli Tui Polotu extremely young at just 20 years old, but he had a lot of success for the Trojans 2022. His size allowed him not only to back up Joey Bosa and Caleb Mack, but he could also play inside as a three technique. Um, I had a day on Henley, Washington State linebacker, going as a first-round pick, but he falls to the Chargers in the third round. He's an explosive player with great tackling, but could work on his coverage skills. Darius Davis, TCY receiver, is a speedster that lacks route running, so he could probably be a return man or a gadget player for the Chargers. Uh, Clemson guard Jordan McFadden, he's undersized as a tackle, so he's likely going to kick inside to guard. He will add depth to a team whose old line desperately needs depth. Scott Matlock, Boise State defensive tackle, he's a rugged run defender that could add great play to a team who struggles to stop the run. They would also select TCU quarterback Max Duggan, likely he's going to sit behind Herbert and develop. And his improvisation is sensational, but you know, he kind of struggled to consistently process in the pocket. I'm giving the Chargers an A here. I really like the Johnston pick, you know. It's not, you know, like the drops are gonna be a big thing with Quinn Johnson. It's gonna be a big question mark, but, I'd, but like you're not asking him to do a lot alongside Keenan Allen and alongside, um, and alongside uh, Mike Williams. So he's gonna be the third option, and he's, and you just give him time to develop. And when you pair him with one of the best contested catchers in the league, of Mike Williams, you could probably learn a lot from him. I love, uh, me personally, I love the Diane Henley pick because I was really high on him coming into this draft. I thought his athleticism and his sideline to sideline speed was incredibly valuable. Yeah, he could he could work on his coverage skills, but I really like the pick. Darius Davis is a nice pick, you know, with his versatility of being, you know, a big return guy or a gadget player. Jordan McFadden brings a lot of depth to the um, offensive line. Then you got Tuli Tuli below two um who's young which is which so good like he's 20 years old and he's gonna be sitting behind guys like khalil mack and joey bosa which you know that would be a dream come true for me as a younger guy like 20 years old getting drafted to the nfl and then you get to develop behind joey bosa and khalil mack like that's insane Sorry, i gotta blow my nose Ah, excuse me. I'm sorry. Moving on to the other team in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Rams. Their first pick was GCU guard Steve Avila. He's a fantastic lineman that provides immediate impact for a team that needs offensive line help. Also, take, they would also take Byron Young, edge rusher from Tennessee. Uh, he fits in well with the Rams' scheme. He's a lot of explosion that fits in well with the thin front seven kobe turner defensive tackle from wake four super underrated one of the best interior defenders in cfb in 2022 he was up there with jalen carter for in terms of production and um like pff grades he has good leverage he's strong he's got quick hands um you georgia quarterback sets Bennett going to la after a story career at georgia he's a good spot this is a good spot for him to develop and turn into a good backup um or even a starter you know we'll see what happens uh Nick Hampton's explosive, uh, edge rusher from App State. Explosive, yet undersized player at edge. George Tackle Warren McClendon's a good pass blocker, but he use development and run blocking. TCUDB, Travius just Tomlinson, he's undersized. But he plays much bigger than what he really is. And the Rams have a track record of, of developing shorter defensive backs, and he could be a nice slot option in the Rams zone scheme. Uh, Nebraska edge rusher Oshan Mathis, very experienced with good length, and picked up one of his most productive seasons after transferring to Nebraska from TCU. And then you've got uh, Ole Miss running back Zach Evans, and although he didn't play to his five-star pedigree, Zach Evans was great picking up yards when he averaged as he averaged six point, over 6.5 yards per carry in each of his three seasons in college. Jason Taylor, safety from Oklahoma State, is very interesting athlete that the Rams could take a chance on in the later rounds and despite being the last pick in the NFL draft in 2023 um DeShawn Johnson defensive end from Toledo is incredibly productive against both the run and pass for Toledo Rams had a ton of picks which is quite surprising to be honest with you like like with how much with how much they trade away their picks like it's very surprising that they used um Excuse me, yeah, I was stretching there. It was very surprising that they used um, that they used the draft to their advantage. It took a lot of really good guys. I love the Steve Avila pick. I love the Byron Young pick. I love the Kobe Toner pick. The Travius Hodges-Thompson pick. Heck, even the Setson bennett pick is pretty interesting Um, if he could develop. You know, O'Shawn Mathis was a solid pick, and they also picked up other guys like... Uh, They picked up Clemson tight end Davis Allen, BYU wide receiver Nakua, And they picked up a punter uh, from Wingate, Ethan Evans. You know, they had a big draft. They had a lot of draft picks. I give them an A in this draft because, like, you know, um, with the – they didn't have a first-round pick, but with the picks they were able to amass, they got a lot of good value. And Avila, Young, Turner, Mathis, Hodges, Tomlinson. I really like it. Uh, moving on to the Las Vegas Raiders, despite his size, you know it's his biggest upside. The Raiders' first-round pick, Tyree Wilson, is going to need to develop to show that he could produce to pro- to prove he was you know worthy of being drafted top ten. Uh, the slide for Notre Dame tight end Michael Mayer would end after, would end at 35 uh, when he was taken at by Las Vegas. And he's likely going to be the replacement for Darren Waller. And while Michael Mayer is not a great athlete, he's such a smart player, both as a receiver and a blocker. He's going to be a great option to replace Darren Waller. Then the Raiders would draft the other Byron Young, not the Tennessee defensive end, but the Alabama defensive tackle. He's limited athlete, but he produces as a run stuffer and he showed improvements as a pass rusher in 2022. Cincinnati wide receiver Trey Tucker. He's a shifty player with great production throughout his college career. The Raiders needed massive help at corner, and they attempted to aid that with premier athlete Corey Bennett from Maryland. Aiden O'Connell, uh, quarterback from Purdue. He did, His production dipped from 2021 to 2022, and he could be a solid backup option to develop under Jimmy G. Safety Christopher Smith from Georgia. He's a mixed bag, as while he has a ton of productive experience, he's also one of He's one of the best run defending safeties, but he misses a lot of tackles. Uh, and then you have Florida linebacker Amari Bernie. He is a great tackler, a good pass rusher, but his coverage ability is quite questionable. I give the Raiders a C here, like um, for 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 this reason alone, like the Raiders' defense, like their secondary is so very bad. It it, it just needs a ton of help, but you and, and they and while their defensive line is an issue, like you're taking a chance on a guy with a lot of athletic upside that needs to show that he can consistently like produce, um, he consistently use his size to produce. in Tyree Wilson, when you could have had a guy like Christian Gonzalez right there at number seven, uh, I, I just if I were the Raiders, I would have gone Christian Gonzalez. Now that you have to settle for, um, all the way in the fourth round for Chikori and Bennett. In, when your secondary is very thin, like I get it, you draft the Marcus Epps, but you know, quarterback's a huge issue because there's practically nobody there. However, I really do like the Michael Mayer pick, I think that one's really good. Byron Young was a solid pickup as well, but like, you know, when you're when you're only uh, selection, when you're coming into the draft and your only selections, <clears throat> excuse me. When your only selections in the secondary are Jacorian Bennett and Christopher Smith, and no knock on them. But when those are your only selections, when you could have had a player like Christian Gonzalez, like, I just don't know, man. I don't know. Moving on to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, their first pick would come in like the third. I uh, know it's the second round, but they took uh, South Carolina corner Cam Smith. He had first round height coming to the draft, but, you know, he has great potential in the slot with his coverage ability um miami's known for having track stars on their team evident with tyree killill and Jalen Jalen waddle and they added another by adding another speed demon in texas running back texas a&m running back devon a chain who was a member of texas a&m's track team and displayed his speed many times in 2021 and 2022 he is a burner they would also take a wide receiver elijah higgins uh from stanford he's a bigger receiver with good speed but struggles to use his size to a disadvantage and they would also take Michigan tackle Ryan Hayes, developed well in 2022, could provide assistance to a lacking offensive line. Despite the Miami Dolphins' low pick total, I'm going to give them a B, because I think they made great picks with their low pick total. I think Camp Smith's really good. Devon A-Chain brings another level, like a more speed to a team that's already filled with speed demons. Elisha Higgins, he's okay, you know. Uh, he, you know, if you could develop him and have him learn like how to use the size, like he could be good. But I don't know about that. But I really like the Ryan Hayes pick. Uh, I think he was uh, very underrated. I think he was very underrated prospect, um, considering his development uh, went up from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two, got a lot better. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think you know, with the right development, he could he could probably be a you know a quiet impact player for the Miami Dolphins. Moving on to the Minnesota Vikings. They would take with their first round pick USC wide receiver Jordan Addison. He's a fantastic compliment to Justin Jefferson. His overall prowess is both a slot receiver and an outside threat, coupled with his fantastic route running. He's going to give Kirk Cousins another great weapon. Uh USC corner Makai Blackman's an underrated prospect. That corner, he had his best season of his college career in 2022. He's a sound tackler to boot. LSU. LSU uh, safety Jay Ward's an interesting pick as his production was subpar when he played a lot of snaps, but like his versatility as safety and slot inspires some confidence. LSU defensive tackle Jacqueline Roy is the quickest player off the snap, but has strength to bully the run and rush the passer. BYU quarterback Jaron Hall is a good athlete that's undersized with a subpar arm, but you know sitting behind a guy like Kirk Cousins can help his development. You know being that uh Jaren Hall and Kirk Cousins are, you know, they're pretty similar. And our final pick was UAV running back Dwayne McBride, and he's not a good receiver, but he's one of the most dominant runners in CFB and showed his skill and power with 76 missed tackles for us, 4.6 yards yards per carry or yeah, yards per carry after contact and 25 carries of 15 plus yards. I had to think about that for a little bit. All in all, I like the Jordan Addison pick, the Makai Blackman pick, uh, Jaron Hall pick, and Dwayne McBride pick. But like the Jacklin, but the two picks from LSU, I'm just not too high on. I like Jacqueline Roy, but like you know, he's a good run stuffer. But if he can't, but like, if he can't develop that quickness off the line, like it's not really gonna serve him well because the guys, because those offensive linemen in the NFL are a lot faster. <clears throat> than the guys in college. It may not seem like it, but they are. And you're really banking on uh Jay Ward developing, you know, uh his versatility and possibly being a guy that, you know, could be excuse me, I'm stretching. Uh you know, you're really banking on him possibly being a um a versatile player but with how his track record has been like you know him playing a lot of snaps in certain years and not really producing all that well i'm not too confident in that next up the evil empire and the new england patriots uh they would they would trade down and get arguably the best corner of the draft in uh oregon corner christian gonzalez with excellent size athleticism and production they would also take georgia tech Uh, edge rusher Keon White he's a big body with power that the Patriots love to have on the edge Sacramento State linebacker Marte Mapu is a bigger safety that excelled against the run in college so he's likely going to move in the box in the NFL he played safety so he's probably going to move down to linebacker um reached on another center with good run blocking but you know he's got poor pass blocking in uh Troy Center Jake Andrews yeah, uh, he's he, he you know he's a good run blocker, but again, poor pass blocking due to bad lower body movement and strength. They would also take Maryland uh, kicker Chad Ryland. You know, there's questions like he's a good kicker, but there's questions you know for of him tra- of them trading up for a kicker. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm getting tired. Like I told you guys, like the mock draft, man. I'm getting tired. They would take Eastern Michigan guard City So. He's an underrated prospect as he's both big, athletic, and he's also experienced as a gap scheme blocker. Uh, they would also take another interior offensive lineman in Antonio Mafi from UCLA. He has another big guard from New England with excellent run blocking, but he's likely going to get development as 2022 was his lone starting season. LSU wide receiver on Booty is a solid receiver and could be good value at 187 but off the field issues, lack of production and poor combine led to his drop. The Mario Douglas Liberty wide receiver, he's small, but he was great against man coverage and caught almost everything that came his way. Uh, Michigan State cornerback Amir Speed played six years of college ball, but you know he lacks production and playing time. And then Jackson State corner Isaiah Bolden was a great slot corner and a big contribution to Jackson State's defense. Overall, I give the New England Patriots an A. I think it was, like, for them to have gotten Christian Gonzalez at 17 is nuts. They also got a really good player, and I think a developing Keon White. Marte Mapu was a pretty good pick, and they also got City So, a very underrated prospect. Keyshawn Booty could be butte could be very, um, I don't even, I think, maybe that's how you say his name is Booty, but I think it's Butte. I don't know. But Keyshawn Butte, um... He's very good value at 187, and he could be, you know, he could be a good receiver. It's just like, you know, is he going to mature? Is he going to, you know, consistently produce? That kind of stuff. And I also really like the Isaiah Bolden picks and uh, the DeMario Douglas pick. is pretty good, too. Moving on to the New Orleans Saints, uh, their first-round pick would be Clemson defensive tackle Brian Breese. a talented player that has the ability to play both inside and outside the tackles due to his pass pass rushing prowess. Isaiah Foskey, Notre Dame edge rusher, <coughs> he has great physical traits and that New Orleans New Orleans loves, but he didn't. That did not translate to production in college. TCU running back Kendra Miller had an incredible year for TCU showcasing his ability to run through and pass defenders Trading up for a rising uh, guard in Old Dominion's Nick Saldaveri is interesting As both starting guards for New Orleans could be impending free agents Uh, Fresno State quarterback Jake Hayner is a good deep ball passer but struggles under pressure Minnesota safety Jordan Howden could be a steal as he's both a great cover safety and a premier tackler also, is very experienced under a solid defense at Minnesota. And Wake Forest wide receiver, A.T. Perry, lacked consistency at Wake Forest, but he has great catch radius to go with route running and release. Overall, I give the Saints a B+. I like the Breezy pick because, you know, he's a great pass rusher, but he could also develop his run defense, and he could be a two-way mo- a two- a, He could be a, two- not a two-way monster. Not two way, but like he could be like a great run stuffer and a great pass rusher for a team that desperately needs that in the New Orleans Saints. Foskey also brings um pass rushing, you know, more pass rushing on top of Brian Bresee to the Saints. I liked Kendra Miller pick. Um I think the Jordan Howden pick was very I think they got two big seals in Jordan Howden and AT Perry. I like both those players a lot, so I give them a B plus Moving on to the New York Giants, they would take, uh, with their first round pick, Maryland cornerback Deontay Banks, an athletic freak as showcased at the Combine and can receivers with good size for a corner. John Michael Schmitz, Minnesota center, was a first round caliber talent. He could have been taken at 24 for the Giants, but the Giants were able to get him in the second round. He's got incredible run, run blocking and great mobility and was one of the most productive centers in the nation last year. Uh, they would take Jalen Hyatt, Tennessee wide receiver that won the Belitnikoff Award in 2022. He showcases breakaway speed and deep threat prowess. He's going to need to develop in other areas, such as route running, but he has all the athletic advantages to succeed. Oklahoma running back Eric Gray was very productive in 2022. Uh, he dominated in both zone and gap plays with, el- with his elusiveness, despite his short size. Old Dominion corner Trey Hawkins could likely play a factor on special teams with his run defense skills. Jordan Riley's a big presence, but struggle to produce for Oregon at defensive tackle. And Houston safety, Javarius Owens is a good coverage safety, but struggles to make catches. I give the Giants an A minus because I think their first three picks were phenomenal. They were great. Deontay Banks brings um he brings another a great defensive back to this team that just lost Julian Love. Um John Michael Schmidt could John Michael Schmidt is a fantastic um player to replace nick gates who left in free agency and then you've got jalen hyatt who has a ton of upside with what he had with what he's done and t- what he did in 2022 <clears throat> however you know if he develops he could be a monster alongside daniel jones next up the other new york team the new york jets um after getting aaron Rodgers. The Jets would take not a tackle because at that point in the draft, all the tackles were gone. So they would take Iowa State edge rusher Will McDonald, the fourth, a dominant and experienced player for the Cyclones, who used his incredible lateral quickness to produce heavily in 2022. Connor McGovern will likely play at center. However, the Jets drafted Joe Tittman from Wisconsin. He's a good long-term option with his blend of size and athleticism to make an impact, at, you know, maybe guard. Jets get their tackle in Carter Warren, but it's likely going to play a developmental role um, due to his need for improving technique and consistency in pass protection. The Jets will take a speedy back in um, Pittsburgh running back Israel Abani Kanda, who has the ability to go from 0 to 100 on any play. Great athleticism that helps his burst for big plays. Although Bar- and, excuse me, although uh, Western Michigan linebacker Zaire Barnes is small for a linebacker, He's extremely athletic and fast. It's lost of to excel against the run. I, myself, was very high on old Dominion tight end Zach, Zach Kuntz uh, due to his size and combat performance, so it makes sense for the Jets to bank on a player like this in the sixth round. However, despite all that, I give the Jets a C+. Plus. <coughs> Excuse me. My gosh. Not so much for... Um, not so much for the players they drafted, just, like, they needed a tackle badly. And the fact that they got a tackle in, like, the third or fourth round that needs development for pass protection, like, it's just, I don't know, man. It kind of, it, that, that kind of stings. It really does. Um, I'm not knocking on any of the players. I like Will McDonald, Joe Titman, Zagger Barnes, and uh, Zach Kuntz. I like all those players but when you need a guy at, when you need a guy at tackle like and you you're in the you're in that position to take a tackle but everyone leapfrogs you and takes um, the tackles that you want now you're stuck drafting a guy you know who had who's good trust me he's good however he needs development and you know like he, he might get pushed around next year if he were to start moving on to the Philadelphia Eagles The Eagles only gave up the 10th pick in a 4th rounder to to move up to number 9 and draft the monster Jalen Carter from Georgia. They would also select fellow Bulldog defensive lineman Nolan Smith with his athletic prowess and ability to play against the run and pass. Alabama tackle Tyler Steen did well at left tackle for Bama, but he's likely going to move inside. Um, Philly had a new huge need for safety after CJ Gardner Johnson and Marcus Epps left. So Sidney Brown's gonna fill in well with his athleticism and fantastic coverage ability. Another Georgia Bulldog in Keely Ringo cornerback is a solid athlete with good size, but his lack of consistency and lateral movement led him to drop. Um, uh Stanford quarterback Tanner is not a great athlete like Jalen Hurts, but he has size and good accuracy that can play into developing into a solid backup. Then you have Texas defensive end Moro Ojomo, who's a great run defender, one of the better ones in this class. And if he could develop a pass rush, he could be, um, he could be a final round heist, seventh round. I mean, final round. I give the Eagles an A plus. Like the fact that they were able to add Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith to that defensive line, on top of losing C.J. Gardner Johnson and Marcus Epps, they were like, all right. Let's go ahead and draft Sidney Brown like and they could draft a potential steal and Moro Ojomo is just nuts and it's in enough it's another insane draft by Howie Roseman moving on to the other Pennsylvania team the Pittsburgh Steelers the Steelers got their blindside blocker for Kenny Pickett and while Broderick Jones uh Georgia tackle he's been inexperienced his lone his alone his starting full starting season in 2022 was absolutely dominant and allowed nine just nine total pressures that entire season. Joey Porter Jr., corner from Penn State, the son of former Pittsburgh linebacker Joey Porter Sr., fine corner prospect who can use his length to win at the line of scrimmage. Uh, Wisconsin defensive tackle Keanu Benson is a great run defender in 2022. Adding him alongside Cam Hayward and Larry Gajobi can help improve the Steelers' run defense. Georgia's tight end Darnell Washington's a physical specimen, 6'8, 272. Uses his size to his advantage both as a blocker and pass catcher. Nick Herbig is a tweener-like prospect, and while he's a fantastic pass rusher, he could certainly he could really play outside the box too, if need be. Corey Trice is another big corner that Pittsburgh picked up, both aggressive and a good tackler. And then Spencer Spencer Anderson, guard from Maryland. He's a good pass blocker, but he's going to need to improve as a run blocker. Likely going to be a developmental prospect. Overall, I give the Pittsburgh Steelers, I hate to do this as a Browns fan, but I give them an A+. Like They had an absolutely insane draft being able <coughs> Excuse me. Being able to trade up for Broderick Jones, and then also st- and still being able to get a guy like Joey Porter Jr. and also getting guys like Keanu Benton, Darnell Washington, and Corey Trice, like that's a great draft. It, it, I hate it as a Browns fan, but as a football fan, you just gotta tip your cap, like, Hey man, great draft. <laughs> um, <clears throat> moving on to the Seattle Seahawks, a surprise at the th- number five pick, cause they, a- as it looks like they're aiming to build a dominant secondary again. Um, by drafting Illinois corner Devon Witherspoon, one of the best corners in CFB this past season. Uh, then they would go on to the 20th pick and take uh, Ohio State receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba, likely to provide a nasty slot presence alongside DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett, evident by his monster finish in 2021. Auburn edge rusher Derek Hall, very talented with a lot of consistent experience at Auburn, although he could develop as a run defender. He certainly has his tools to do so, so it's a good pick there. Uh, very interesting pick by the Seahawks to take Zach Charbonnet, although he's a good back at UCLA, tough runner, but, you know, considering Kenneth Walker the third, very interesting. LSU guard Anthony Bradford, a big athlete that excels in zone blocking, but he's going to need to develop as a pass protector. And then you've got uh, Mississippi defensive tackle Cameron Young. Good length to fill two gaps, but needs to develop a solid pass rush to maintain consistency. Michigan edge rusher Mike Morris uses his strength and length to win off the edge. He's able to produce well, despite him never be having, like, a big role in Michigan's defense. Then you've got fellow Michigan Wolverine Olusigan Oluwotimi. A smart, strong, experienced center prospect that fills a need there. And then you've got New Mexico's Jarek Reed. He may work as a safety slot player but he never put up great plays so you know he's likely going to play special teams likely going to factor into his career at um as you know maybe a gunner or something um you have got Kenny McIntosh uh running back from Georgia good rotational back for the Bulldogs could run, run well and catch passes on this third straight a plus grade here for the Seattle Seahawks I think the Devon Witherspoon pick is really really good it, 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 like if they're trying to rebuild the Legion of boom, it like you can really see it right now, considering that they drafted a monster cornerback, one of the probably the most dominant corner in college football, in Devon Witherspoon. And then um it's a pair with Tariq Woolen, And then taking Jackson Smith and Jigba at twenty, letting him fall all the way there is fantastic. They also got made great picks like Derek Hall, Anthony Bradford, and old Sagan old with Timmy. Really like that draft from the Seahawks. Moving on to their NFC West rivals, San Francisco 49ers. Jair e. Brown's versatile safety that played all over the place for Penn State to go along with his ball hawking skills. So I kind of like that pick for <clears throat> the Niners. Jake Moody is a great kicker. Um, he's good and consistent, but, you know, like the third round's a bit interesting to take him there. Cameron Latu, Alabama tight end. He's got a good size there, but he failed to perform consistently for them in 2022. Daryl Luter Jr., uh, corner from South Alabama. He took a step back uh, in 2022 from 2021. But he's got good length, speed, and explosiveness to play on the outside. Um, Georgia D- edge rusher Robert Beal Jr. did not have the best season for a Georgia defense. So he's likely going to – he's probably going to make an impact more on special teams. Uh, TC linebacker D. Winters, he's experienced, but he lacked consistent performance, and he misses a lot of tackles. Our Oklahoma tight end Braden Willis worked a lot as an H-back slash fullback for Oklahoma where he was an excellent run and pass blocker and you got Ronnie Bell who's a good route runner and played well in college but he fails to pull in contested catches <coughs> Excuse me. this is the lowest grade I have for any team so far and it's a D plus like I didn't really like this draft for the Niners I don't really understand the thought process in taking a kicker. Uh, well, I'm not nothing on Jake Moody. He's really good as a kicker. But I don't really understand the thought process behind that. They probably could have gotten him later on. Like, the only pick I really like is, you know, Ronnie Bell um, and Jair Brown and, you know, Braden Willis. You know, maybe he could be a Kyle check replacement. You know, who knows? But, like... Outside of that, like I don't really like uh, taking Jake Moody in the third round. I don't. Uh, Cameron Latu would probably be a better pick, but he really struggled this past season. Same with Darrell Luter Jr. Uh, D Winters as well. He's really inconsistent. You know, I just didn't really right, like this draft for the Niners. Moving on for the Buccaneers. Um, their first pick was Kalijah Canty, defensive tackle from Pitt. While he's undersized, he's a phenomenal pass rusher with a monster first step. He's certainly going to make an impact for a Tampa Bay defense that needs a jolt. Trading up with the Packers, um, the Buccaneers were able to get North Dakota State tackle Cody Mock. Very good move, and although he can improve his pass protection, he's a great run blocker, and his size allows him to play inside if he need, if they need to. With Canty being a smaller pass rusher, the Buccaneers went ahead and uh, took Yaya Diaby from Louisville, He's just as athletic as Kansi, but he's larger. He also played well against the run this past season. Uh, Pittsburgh linebacker Zervakia Dennis is undersized, but he's explosive, athletic, and a great tackler and could be a great late round pick for the Bucks. Uh Purdue tight end Payne Durham is great hands and even some good elusiveness. However, he's going to need to develop as a blocker. Uh, Kansas State corner Josh Hayes. He's going to need to develop his playmaking abilities, as he can make plays when he's in position, but he got exposed badly a lot, particularly against Alabama. Uh, I'm 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 really breathing hard, man. Almost done. Though. <laughs> <coughs> Nebraska wide receiver Trey Palmer. Uh, he's got good speed, and he had a stellar season for Nebraska after transferring from LSU. That should be a good sign for Tampa Bay. And then that, and then to round it out, Eastern Michigan edge Jose Ramirez. He's small, but he dominated against a smaller comp at EMU and won many of his pass rush battles. I give the Buccaneers here a B plus because I really like the Kalaji Kanti pick. I thought the Cody Mock pick was very good. Yaya Diaby. I, I, I like the fact that they were able to get two athletic pass rushers in Cansey and Diaby, and you got Canty who's smaller and why he plays on the inside you got Diaby, who's more going to play on the outside, but he's bigger. You know, because he's bigger, he's going to play on the outside. I like the Servakia Dennis pick. I thought that was really good. Um, he's very underrated. I like Trey Palmer pick. I thought it was good. I think the Jose Ramirez pick is a, is is steal for the Buccaneers. So I give him a B plus. <clears throat> Moving on to the second to last team, the Tennessee Titans. They would start out by taking Peter Skaronsky, talented enough to play tackle, but he also has the size to slide inside for a team death. He could play anywhere really and be successful. The Tennessee Titans would um, also take their potential future quarterback in Will Levis. Great ball release and a monster arm, but he struggled, you know, to turn those traits into production. An offense like Tennessee should help, though, you know, create downfield options, like, you know, open them up for him. <clears throat> Tulane running back Tyshay Spears, he's a dangerous runner who's both elusive and strong after contact. He's a perfect complement for Derrick Henry. Cincinnati tight end Josh Wiley is a big tight end that could be a threat downfield. He's likely, but he's likely not going to be Tennessee's first option as a blocker. You know, most of these tight ends I've been talking about aren't really great blockers. Um, Maryland uh, tackle Jalen Duncan is athletic, but, and he can help the Titans weak O line. but he struggles against power, tends to struggle with leverage, so that could be worked on. And then UT Martin wide receiver Colton Dowell adds steps to the Titans wide receiver core, as he's a bigger receiver, and he showed he could be a big downfield threat at UT Martin. I give the, um uh Titans here at a minus. I thought it was, I thought it was a great pick for them to have gotten Peter Skoronsky. I thought that was the perfect pick for them, and for them to wait until the second round and then take Will Levis was a fantastic move. It, like the, heck, they could have taken him with their first round pick, but they took the right guy, the smarter pick, and Peter Skoronski. They waited, got Will Levis, and you know if they develop him right, he could be a really good quarterback for them. I also thought Taisha Spears was a was a fantastic pick, and I really like Jalen Duncan a lot. So I give the Titans an A-minus. I thought it was a good draft for them. Moving on to the final team, the Washington Commanders. Their first pick in the first round would be Mississippi State corner Emmanuel Forbes. He's a knack for making plays and being a ball hawk, so his production could be elite for a sputtering Washington secondary. You no know, good corner to pair alongside Kendall Fuller. Uh, he uh, they added another secondary piece in Illinois in Illinois safety Jartavius Martin, um, <clears throat> his athleticism and playing experience at Illinois can translate to a versatile role in the Commanders defense. Yes, he's yes he's a safety, but he could also play slot because of you know his experience his versatility. <coughs> Arkansas offensive Arkansas center Ricky Stromberg's a solid pick due to his production. He should be a good addition to a develop as a future starter. You know, people saw it as a reach, but, you know, sitting behind Nick Gates, you know, he could develop a little bit and maybe he could come in and be a really good starter. We'll have to see though. Utah guard Braden Daniels is versatile that he, and he played both guard and tack and both tackles at Utah. He could transfer that to play to Washington, O line that needs help. Clemson edge rusher KJ Henry didn't test well. He's a bit older. But he performed well in 2022 with a good pass rush win, rush win rate. And, you know, with Chase Young being franchise tagged, we'll have to see how that works out. And despite a poor offensive line, um, Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez Jr. maintained elite production for Kentucky and should provide another bruising power back for the Commanders alongside Brian Robinson Jr. And the final player to go over, Louisiana linebacker Andre Jones. He's older but experienced. Long, big, and productive, which could provide a late-round steal for Washington. I give the Washington Commanders an A minus. I think the Emmanuel Forbes pick is very underrated. Like he's a like he is, he has a knack for making a play, man. He's I think in his career he's got like 14 interceptions, which is crazy. Um, I like the Emmanuel Forbes. I also really like the Jartavius Martin pick. It brings even more depth and more versatility to the Washington secondary. I think Ricky Stromberg's a good pick because, you know, you're not expecting him to go in right away and start. You know, you could sit him back and develop him a little bit, along with Braden Daniels. Um, I really like the Chris Rodriguez Jr. pick too, and Andre Jones was a solid pick as well. So, very good draft from Washington. And with that, that is all for today in this episode of the CBiz Show. Thank you all for listening. It was a bit of a longer one. Um, You could kind of probably tell that I'm getting really tired. Like I'm breathing pretty hard. Um, my voice is probably go probably gonna hurt. Um, but you know I had a lot of fun with this episode, and I will. S- and hopefully next time I promise to you guys that I'm going to be on time and have the I'm going to have the episode ready for, um, Friday, as it normally is. I promise you guys that I swear I swear on it. It will be ready for Friday. Yeah, and with that being said, that is the end of episode six from the Seabish, so I hope you guys all enjoyed it. That being said, see you guys next time.